Hey guys, a quick interlude before we start this week's episode of The Prestige. We are now part of Kaiju FM, and Kaiju FM have got a Patreon account in which you can help support this podcast, you can help support all the podcasts that Kaiju FM makes. In return, you get sweet rewards like names and credits and even a Patreon-only podcast called Kaiju in which I talk about what it's like running Kaiju FM. If you want to support us, please just go to kaiju.fm and follow the links for support. Cheers! Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a film, we review it, we talk about it, and we discuss some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And as always, we'll end with our recommendations of further reading inspired by the film of the week. Before we kick off, a quick catch up on what else we've been watching this week. So Sam, what about you? This week I've been watching something by the the latest production of uh, film director Luke Besson, who I know we, we both like. Um, he's done great films, Leon, Fifth Element, um, and is known for a visually arresting style. Um, and his latest production is a film series. It's a French-language film series. And it being Luke Besson, it's, it's as you would expect. It looks brilliant and it's high-octane. It's not amazing, but it's all right. It's um, it's called No Limit. It's about uh, a French kind of ex-soldier turned James Bond type assassin spy sort uh, living in Marseille, and it's the French Riviera and its sunshine and its cars and its beautiful girls and its lots of guns and its escapist TV. It's not absolutely amazing. Um, it's never going to be because it's never really meant to be. But it's it's good fun, enjoyable fun. Fair enough, fair enough. I must have not heard of it at all, so I should add that to the list to look at some point. Well, neither would I. It was just one of those that popped up in um, the Channel 4 on-demand player, but I hadn't seen it publicised anywhere at all. What about, what about you? Well, in a, strangely, in a similar vein, but also a very different vein, uh, I have... This week with my wife started watching Riverdale. Now, Riverdale, I would say, once again, pure escapist TV. Essentially, it is a modern retelling, a modern remake, a modern version of the traditional Archie comics. Now, Archie isn't a big thing in the UK, but in America, Archie comics are certainly a, a, a deal, shall we say. They're a big deal. Um, and it tells the story of Archie, teenage boy, the two goldeners, Life, Betty and Veronica, and the... Um, Sort of the hijinks they get up to. These the, the comics also spawned characters like Supreme Teenage Witch, and they also spawned characters like Jason Pussycats. All came from this original Archie comic. Now, in the comics, it's very wholesome America, small town, very wholesome. In the new film, they've basically taken the Archie world and mashed it up with sort of Twin Peaks, with their secrets on secrets on secrets. Hasn't got the surreal nature of Twin Peaks, but it's got a very similar kind of everyone's got a secret, there's a big mystery ongoing in which this is the death of one of the characters. And 
you don't really know what's going on for it, but it is very escapist TV. It's a merry American. It's you no, know, it's shiny. Everyone's far too good looking to be in, be in high school. Um, but it, it's you know it's in the same vein as Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill and the OC and all that kind of thing. But it is certainly a lot of fun and escapist TV. So if you like that sort of stuff, and we have a, a, a mutual friend called Richard who will just love it. It's, it's just it's him in a nutshell. I can see that, yes. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Right, from two bits of Escapist TV to something that is really not very Escapist at all. Um, Rob, introduce our film for the week. So we are now in um, book five of seven, uh, film five of eight, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. It's changing out there. There's a storm coming, Harry. Just like last time. The Ministry of Magic is pleased to announce the appointment of Dolores Jane Umbridge as High Inquisitor to address the falling standards at Hogwarts School. Things at Hogwarts are far worse than I feared. told that a certain dark wizard is at large this is a lie so the order of phoenix basically picks up where the last film goblet of fire ended off um so we are picking up with voldemort coming back we're picking up with harry busy proclaiming that um and cedric being dead the film continues the general path towards darkness that the uh, film has been portraying over the last few few instalments. Um, thankfully, all the terrible haircuts have now got away from the last one. But we are certainly moving towards a darker world. In addition to the return of Voldemort as an antagonist, we have the involvement of Imelda Staunton as as a wonderful character who's sent by the Ministry to oversee Hogwarts and basically kind of essentially kind of watch um, Dumbledore but becomes the face of totalitarian dictatorship um, within the within the school and uh, yeah we've also got a bit more of the uh, the high school teen romance uh, going on in the film but I think that's probably a quick summary for this as always blanket spoiler warnings are ahead Sam um, I enjoy this I will say, first of all, that both my other half and I are teachers and some of the... And Rob's just suggested that Melda Stormland's character comes in to oversee and then quickly takes over. And it's it, that influence of politics over education is something that was, for us, a little bit too close to the bone. But overall, it was it was enjoyable, possibly because of that character. Dolores Umbridge is brilliant. Um, I think if I had one negative criticism of it, it would be that I felt that not enough happened. Mm-hmm. It felt just like a setup for the end. Now, at this point, my other half said, "But Sirius Black died," and my response was, "No, nah, that didn't really affect me." And her response to that was, "Then you're dead inside." So, but it genuinely, I, I don't, I, as much as I do like Gary Oldman, 
and I do think he's a fine actor. I just didn't care enough about that character. Whereas, for example, someone like Remus Lupin, I think, is he, he just feels like a more well-rounded character, and he feels it feels like I would would care more if he were to die, and mm-hmm. he feels like more part of I know part part of this this Order of the Phoenix that is the the um, titular group of figures that are fighting against Voldemort. It feels more like that's built around Lupin emotionally. Um, so I didn't. I I felt that not enough happened because maybe because I don't care enough about Sirius Black. But then maybe that's my fault. Um, otherwise, yeah, yeah, I thought thought it was quite enjoyable. As I said, this idea of politics interfering with education was a bit too close to the knuckle. But yeah, I, I enjoy it. Was it wasn't my favourite? I would still say I prefer four and maybe even three to this one. Um, but I thought it was a solid continuation of the story. Rob? I... This is probably my least favourite of the films. Okay. I do... In, 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 it's kind of like, it's your least favourite cake. It's still, it's still good cake. Um, but it's still my least favourite of the of, of the films of the pod series. I think that you're right. We are getting into the point now where Rowling is moving all her pieces into place for what is what is coming, um, and things are revealed, and there's this whole nature of prophecy. I think the reason why I don't like this as much as a film is the film relies, I think, a bit too much on being a book reader to be enjoyable. How do you mean? In the books, the sequences with Snape teaching. Potter to be um, sort of resistant to the mental attacks is longer, it's greater. Mm. The build-up of the prophecy element is longer and greater. And the film felt, I suppose, like things happened one after another. Mm. But, and they're, 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 like they're chunking it all together in, into, into a, a narrative. But the overarching plot in terms of the seven films didn't make it didn't work as well in my head that being said individual bits were real as you say uh, Imelda Staunton as Lord Umbridge works brilliantly her her narrative arc through the film in the school is a wonderful one the, the, the idea of her and Dumbledore's army um, and that kind of build up and sort of the growing antagonism between the two the quitting of school by the uh, Weasley twins mm. in a great little sequence all that stuff, the, the Cho Chang stuff with Harry, um, all this kind of Neville coming into his own with some of his skills. The, this bit of the film, I thought, worked really well. Um, but so the, the wider narrative just didn't seem to flow. Mm. I felt the same way about the book, so it kind of goes both ways there a little bit. But I do think that it, it plays heavily on presuming you've read the books at this point. Um, but that being said, like, the three minute act is getting a lot better. It's as always. It's it's a beautiful film. As always, the world building that Rowling does and has done starts to play in, starts to come back. Elements of what you've seen previous films build up into this film, and I think you know these these films work very well because you've got a built up history and built encyclopedia of what's going on in this world, um, and that will continue to build over the next three films. 
But I do think, for me, it's probably the weakest of the seven films. Eight films. Yeah. Those, I mean, you mentioned those sequences with between Harry Potter and Snape. They were... If the whole film could have been Dolores Umbridge and then those sequences with Snape and Harry Potter, I would have been quite happy. Yes. They, they were brilliant. And that moment when you realise, oh no... I mean, it, it's kind of... Because you know the way that narrative works, you kind of expect that Snape is being a bully because he secretly cares for Harry in some way. Mm. That's something that you've kind of thought through the rest of the films. At this point, you think, oh, I was right in that supposition. There's the, it, that, that, that moment is wonderful. That moment where you realise, oh, Snape's being a bully because he was bullied himself. He's treating Harry like this, and... Maybe it's a result of the way he was treated when he was at school. And Harry looks up to his dad and you see for the first time his dad is not this amazing figure. And it's it's beautiful because it's it's true. It's the way that and it's the way that the world works. You you idolise someone you've never met mm-hmm. because there there are no faults for you to see. And Snape can see the faults quite clearly in James. So those those sequences I loved. Um, and and the sequences with with Dolores Umbridge as well. I would say that I I agree with you about the narrative. It does does seem much more like she's just moving pieces into place. And that whole thing about the prophecy, I wasn't sure why they felt they had to get it. Why Voldemort felt he had to get it. And I'm still not sure. And it it seems like this is there as a plot device to engineer Sirius Black dying and engineer the first few old Bellatrix the Strange, who is brilliant by the way, as well. But I didn't feel like there was any there was anything other than just necessity behind this plot device, this prophecy. Is there more in the book? There is a bit more. I wouldn't say that it's amazing and, and I, this does come back to I suppose one of my overarching issues with with the film is that I, and the book is it always feels like the end fight sequence has just kind of been shoehorned in there mm. to, to to have a fight sequence to have a a big denouement at the end an action scene and as, as I say it felt unearned in mm. many ways yeah. Uh, it didn't feel like you, you say you're not quite sure beyond you feel that Harry wants to go particularly serious but beyond that you aren't really sure why he's doing and what they're doing that kind of stuff mm. it feels like yeah it's that idea well, the, the idea from detective stories of a MacGuffin that they're chasing and they don't mm. really know it, it felt like that that was the same sort of thing you get this this kind of unearned resolution because there's been nothing really to resolve yeah it, it just didn't feel yeah it just felt kind of like they felt the end it's they tacked it on the end rather yeah. than letting this film be what it could be which is just like a nice kind of filler film a nice kind of back end building film shall we say mm. yeah one thing I did did want to talk about, um, I've got some notes on, is the idea of truth in this film. Okay. One one of the, I mean, we we've talked quite a lot about how this film kind of does and doesn't work, and we 
kind of seen how unsatisfactory the film is. But I'm just talking about something that the film does really well. And it comes, I mean, it starts with Harry's speech at the formation of Dumbledore's army. And Harry kind of stands up for, it's, it's, it's kind of, he's a metaphor for standing up for yourself in, in the face of opposition. Uh, and whether that's opposition, official opposition from Dolores Umbridge and the Ministry, or the opposition of Voldemort, he's, he's standing up for himself. But also, I want to say this, this film does an interesting, it does something really interesting with creating a feeling of isolation in Harry. Um, and you have the moments with with the character of Luna, for example, when he talks about how isolated he feels, and there are various other points in the film where you see how isolated he is. So you kind of see him as this this, this uh, figure who's standing up for himself at the start of Dumbledore's army, that feels earned. But then also, you kind of, we kind of start to doubt him. And this is the really clever thing about this film. Not only have you got him set up in, in opposition, he's, he's set up as the white knight, as the truthful one. But also, we, like, there's so much overwhelming opposition to him that the audience starts to doubt him. Mm. Even though you've seen what happened with Cedric, it kind of the film does really interesting work in setting him up as this this redemptive figure, but then at the same time saying he's a stupid little boy and everyone look how many people disagree with him. Yes. Look how many people are against him. All he's got on his side are a little girl and her father who prints his own magazine. And look at all the the so many people we've got on our side backing us up and that's kind of it's kind of what to stray into something vaguely political here it's what a sort of totalitarian fascist even attitude to truth is it's saying well yes you have your opinion but look at all the might we have on our side so you can't be in the right I know you're sticking up for something but actually that's wrong hmm and that's what this this film does so well. It it, it kind of it, it portrays this this quest for truth on Harry's part, but it also portrays just how easy fascism is, just how simple it is to to toe the party line in situations like this. I agree. I mean, it's, it's also I mean, it's worth talking about the fact that you've got Cornelius Fudge, who is the um, the Menace magic, and Dolores Umbridge is is his of right hand woman. And they aren't the bad guy, if you see what I'm saying. They aren't they aren't the evil person of Voldemort. Um or these they aren't presented to us as the evil person of them. But it turns out they are just as, as bad. Mm. And I think that's where you kind of you Jacob uh, Ryan's gone on record and saying that this film is about it's about fascists and totalitarian governments and it's kind of how to deal with all of all of that. And I think it's known that these guys are pretty. That he says in films, these are the good guys. These these are the establishment. They aren't the random out random evil wizard. They're just they're just bureaucrats. Mm. But that also makes them kind of terrifying at the same time and damaging at the same time. Mm. I wonder also what role Snake plays in this. Um, if you can imagine yourself back in the position of someone who only knows up to the first five books in the series, but. Um, Snape's a really interesting figure that um, 
you get that moment with Umbridge interrogating Harry and they just try to travel by by flu powder and she catches him and the Inquisitors catch them and they're interrogating him in her office and Snape comes in. Now, what is Snape doing there? Is is Snape actually protecting Harry when Harry says they've got Padfoot and he's speaking in code and Snape obviously understands. So is is Snape actually on Harry's side, do you think, there? I think that I think it's interesting and this is we'll get into more of this down the line but Snape's character is one that up until very the very last minute um is played both ways. Mm. Um you 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 know I, I was reading the books first around and reading the films you never know which way to go. You know he's not a nice person but mm. but at the same time he's not he clearly here helped. He he was when he raised the alarm to the rest of the order. He was the one who went and got Sirius and went and got Remus and clearly was trying, albeit in a very aggressive, bullying way, to try and teach Harry to protect his mind. Mm. So Snape is a um, is a very interesting character at this point, I think. Mm. But I think I want to take it back to what you were saying earlier about the idea of truth and and lies and alternative facts shall we call them <laughs> um, it is notable that the, 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 the idea of lying and the idea of truth is a, is a throughput through this entire film mm. you know, everyone at the start everyone thinks Potter's lying people who have been his friend Seamus who's been his friend in the first film thinks he's lying that's really interesting because I spent the first four films really liking Seamus for no reason I just thought He's the mm. one character in this 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 franchise who you just you just like you just get on with and and then you get to this one and you think oh no actually Seamus doesn't believe him oh yeah it's a very interesting sort of sort of change there and the idea of truth becomes important throughout you know Harry Potter gets sent to detention has to write I must not tell lies and it gets burnt into his skin and you get this sort of ongoing idea of what is true. Harry isn't told things. He is, he is cut out of conversation. They close doors on him. Um, all the way through the film, you've got Dumbledore not telling him things. And Harry having to work out what's going on. They're hiding the idea of what they're learning. And the idea of, of, of education being this search for true things rather than what they're taught. You've got the idea of, of combining her lessons with what they learn in the in the army. That they're trying to trying to find the truth in amongst all of these things. And you've got um, kind of additionally to that the, the character we could keep them back to because I think she is the standout character of the film, Dolores Umbridge. Mm. That for all she does, for all she does, and it is all mostly evil stuff. She genuinely thinks she's doing the right thing, you think? Yeah, yeah. Especially in her early days. I think towards the end she now goes off the reins a little bit. Yeah. But you very much feel like she's tr- she's trying to do what she thinks is right. And she's genuinely thinking that, that, that um, Dumbledore's trying to raise an army against her. And I think that it's it's interesting, the idea of truth... Look, what the, 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 all the way through, I'm losing track here, but all the way through, you've got this idea of 
Harry Potter trying to prove his worth and trying to prove that he's telling the truth and that he's right. Um, and spoiler alert, right at the end, he's tricked. He he is fed a lie by by Voldemort that then kicks off the whole end. And the idea that this kind of this, the idea of truth versus lies is key to the entire thing through the entire film. And it's kind of, I and mean, we I talked about last week. Last week was the first time you saw a film not start at Privetrise. This is another one. I mean, it starts in Little Windy, mm. but it starts out in the house. And the the atmosphere, the conditions, the heat that they talk about so much at the beginning is kind of unsettling for everyone. So already you've got this atmosphere of things not being quite right, into which you have these, are these, are these alternative facts? Is, are people actively lying? What is the truth? Do we believe Harry... How much do we believe? We obviously believe him to a certain extent because we've seen the films, but then how far do we go beyond that? How far is there an element of faith in I believe in him? Yeah, you see, like, the, 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 as an audience, it's strange because like, like, as an audience, we know Harry telling the truth because we saw yeah. Voldemort come back at the start. But we also start to see Harry kind of unwind a little bit. He starts to go... Yeah. Slightly mad, yeah. and it, you end up saying, with, with, uh, particularly once you start into the world of these visions and dreams, particularly building on last week's, that you're starting to start to see, you know, you start to see things through the eyes of the snake at the start of the, the fifth film. Mm. What, and, and obviously at the end of this film, it turns out that Voldemort has worked out to feed him images, he felt to feed him visions, and at a certain point, you certainly you can't. Our, our, our vision on this world, Harry, has been our, our, our POV in this world the entire time. Suddenly, we as an audience can't trust him because he is compromised. Exactly. Through no fault yes. of his own, he's now an unreliable actor. Yeah, so you've got this element of, oh, we are completely upset by this because because we've started to doubt him. So it's not just starting to doubt what he says because so many people have been saying he's lying it's, it's also like you say his his viewpoint is no longer reliable that and i think that's that's really key to it yeah mm. um i could talk about viewpoint and narrative and alternative facts for quite a long time but i suspect we should get on to some recommendations rob i suspect you're right um so i've got i've got two recommendations first of all which this film features an actress who I'm a big fan of called Natalia Tenner, playing Nymphadora Tonks. She basically, she's she's a a witch, part of the Order. She currently is doing great work in Game of Thrones, but her very first, her very first screen credit was a 2002 film called About a Boy, starring Hugh Grant and a very young Nicholas Hoult. Um, It's about a kind of a man, played by uh, Hugh Grant, who befriends a young boy and learns from it and all that kind of loveliness. It's a lovely, easygoing British rom-com style film. But without the rom, you'd probably say. Um, but it's, 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 it's about, yeah, it's hard to explain without giving a lot of it away. Um, but it's kind of very, very nice. It's very British. It's in the same box as something like Forward to the Funeral. It's written by Nick Hornby, who we both enjoy. Um, so yeah, that's my first recommendation, and it's just a chance to talk about a film, and I like it. Right. My second film is kind of a a thematic follow-on 
especially from our our discussions of what is what is truth and what isn't truth. And this is a film called Wag the Dog. Wag the Dog is a nineteen ninety seven film starring Dustin Hoffman and Robert Nero. And this is the very first film that I studied as part of my university course. And it essentially is about a presidential sex scandal that a like a, a Washington spin doctor decides to cover up by faking a war. So we don't actually go to war at any point. No one ever goes to war. But they manipulate the media, they manipulate the public, they lie basically and invent a war to distract the the country and the voting public away from the events that have truly transpired. It's played mostly for laughs, but it certainly isn't, especially in the light of our current political climate, funny. Mm. And it's also a film that a lot, a lot of people actually kind of have seen or talk about. But if you want to see a masterclass in kind of media manipulation, in barefaced lying, and the ability of people in power to confuse the narrative and lie to people, this is this is a textbook. Right. Well brilliant. I've got two links this week, um neither of them thematic. Well one one of them links to a character that we've talked about a lot um in this podcast. It's the the brilliant Imelda Staunton. And um I've gone for this it's it's a TV movie and it's I mean it, we're not not going for amazing films here, but um, it's actually a TV movie of a staged musical I saw, and um, it was it was very good, and it was written directed by the late great Victoria Wood, and it was the last thing Victoria Wood wrote before her death. It was a musical set in 1969 with various flashbacks called "That Day We Sang." It's about a youth choir and then later on revisited in in middle age. And it starred Imelda Staunton. I've just seen on IMDb the TV movie version of that. So a shout out to that because it was very enjoyable. And my other actor link is, well, it's, it's a very different film from any we've mentioned today. It's also a very bleak film, but it is brilliant. And it's one of those films you think, this is so bleak, there must be some redemption somewhere. Oh no, no, it really is just as bleak as I thought it was going to be. Um, so don't go into this looking for happy endings. Um, but the link is Brendan Gleeson, there was Mad Eye Moody in this one, and it's the 2014 film Calvary, about um, an Irish priest and scandal and sacrifice and general personal torment and it's a really hard watch as i said it's not at all happy and joyful and redemptive but it is a brilliant piece of filmmaking so calvary excellent i should check it out so guys till next week you can come find us in several places so i'm actually going to plug somewhere new this week so we've been on twitter for a while but we are now also on reddit so if you go to reddit forward slash r slash kaiju fm we're posting all our episodes up on there and you can come and join us for a bit more discussion based talk about the film rather than just tweets if that's more your kind of thing 
If you want to do it more old school, you can find us both on Twitter at British Podcast. You can find me on Twitter because I don't understand newfangled things like Reddit. Um, I'm on Twitter at life underscore academic. And I'm on Twitter at Rob Kaiju. Brilliant. And we'll see you next week. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.